You're listening to the Retro Spectacle Podcast, Episode 9, NASA and the Rise of Private Space Exploration, hosted on the Drink 5 Network. this was a little appropriate for this evening's uh, topic. And no, we're not talking about the legalization of marijuana. <laughs> As you were, sir. Well, welcome to the show, everyone. It is me, Jason. I'm joined by Dave, as always. This is the Retro Spectacle Podcast, and we're, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, NASA and the rise of private space exploration and kind of how that's all been going lately. It's been... There's been a lot of activity over the last couple of years, and I've really enjoyed uh, learning about what's been going on. And it's been a, actually a very exciting, like, two days, coincidentally. You know, I didn't plan that at all, but there's been uh, some events happening in the last couple of days. That'll be fun to uh, talk about. So, Dave, as always on a podcast, we must first ask the question, what are you drinking? Port Brewing Wipeout IPA. It's a 7.5% IPA. From Port Brewing, portbrewing.com. Uh, I don't know if I've had this particular beer before. I don't really think so. Maybe it's a new one. I'm not sure. But uh, it has five hop varieties in it. Amarillo, Cascade, Centennial, Simcoe, and Summit. And it tastes pretty hoppy, but very drinkable. Uh, not bad at all. Kind of a golden pour with a regular size, what you can expect of a head from an IPA like this. And I have no problem with it. It's very drinkable. It's uh, it's not like gonna immediately jump into any kind of top list. Right. So it's San Diego style. What does that mean? Do you know? Probably light and uh, and stupid. <laughs> Easily drinkable by the beach. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we've also got a glass of Lafroig Quarter. Cla- Figures that cask is the word that I mess up there. The Lefroig Quarter Cask. I've clearly had a little bit of it already. Yes. Uh, it's fantastic single malt whiskey from Lefroig. Um, I've really enjoyed the um, Islay uh, whiskey, Scotch whiskeys lately. And uh, this is maybe the best one I've had. And it was, you know, it's not the most expensive one that I've had. When you enter into exploration of Scotch, for example... You learn all about how all, there's all these different islands, and on those islands there are many different distilleries and uh, all these histories and things that come from that. And it's uh, a, kind of a cool journey to go on. Um, I didn't used to like scotches when I was a little bit younger, as I think most people a don't. Lad. Just because of the fact that you grow into the tastes of these sort of things. Even you know double IPAs and, and strong uh, particular kinds of beer they require a little bit of attention um, mm-hmm. and uh, practice, let's say, before you can really grasp what it is you're drinking. So scotches are maybe at the upper echelon of this sort of thing, right? You have to understand. So. You have to understand all of these different complexities of flavor because it's such a strong tasting drink that in order to unravel those complexities, you have to have a lot of scotch, basically. Right. It takes a lot of practice. So. Uh, this glass is for science. This is so that I can learn more about scotch. Not because I just like drinking it. You are an intrepid scotch drinker, Jason. 
Thanks, I think. Upon a voyage. And so you go. <laughs> I think the first time I ever saw the word intrepid was on a car. The Dodge Intrepid? That would be the one. I don't see too many more of them, so they probably didn't do very well. I don't know. I don't know. The word has lasted longer than the car. <laughs> Good for English. Okay, so um, going back to our main topic for tonight. So we'll start off with NASA. NASA obviously is kind of the core for our, um, uh, you know, our perspective on space exploration and all that good stuff. NASA has been has had manned missions like all the time, but as of 2011, there's no longer a manned shuttle that NASA owns. You know, they don't have the ability to put men in space anymore. Our astronauts now have to go basically to Russia in order to take a ride to the space station. And now the space station is, uh, you know, it is an international effort, so it's not maybe that big of a deal. But I suppose, like, at one time in this country, like, the space race was a very important, like, thing for security, I suppose. Um, But it's funny how uh, that would be looked at now, what, like, 40, 50 years later, that we have to send our astronauts over to uh, Russia in order to get them into space. And that they would actually cooperate with us. That's the case in, in all scenarios. It's just you go to Russia. There's no way to get up in space as a, as an astronaut here in our space program. Uh, there, there are no manned, um, there are no manned vehicles right now in the United States. There's several like, there's about to be a couple of private vehicles that could take somebody up within the next year or two. But right now NASA doesn't have anything. Uh, I don't know of any company that has one maybe that maybe there's something in the military that would do it you know but that would obviously be something that's classified but isn't there resupply service uh services that go to the international space station is that an unmanned mission yes those are unmanned missions in fact that's what um that's one of the first things that spacex started doing was sending manned or unmanned uh cargo missions and that actually there was one today from russia that was one of the um one of the main like newer events that's happened, there was a resupply shuttle from Russia that was going up and it basically before reaching orbit, I think it just spun out of control and they're unable to like control it at this point. It's still up there. It's spinning. It really reminded me of the scene from interstellar when he gets in the, uh, when he has to get on the um, plane or not the plane, but the spaceship and match, the spin of the space station that he's trying to land at. Mm-hmm. So, of course, everyone brought up that. Um, but, you know, that isn't... Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Well, is there a reason to have manned flights at this time? Like, unless you're going somewhere, uh, is 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 the whole point of, of well, humans space can do... right now just to resupply and continue what we have because there's not, like, a whole lot of things going on? Oh, well, right now, the the ISS, the International Space Station, has several astronauts that can live at it. They conduct experiments all the time. There's all kinds of things that you can do in outer space when you're past the Earth's, like, parts of the Earth's atmosphere, when you're in zero gravity, like, experiments that you can run. So who's up in the ISS right now? Um, I don't know. Let's let's see. I I know that uh, Reddit's favorite um, astronaut, when... Uh, Let's see. Yeah, he played guitar. I remember seeing a lot of cool stuff from him. Yeah, he was on the Colbert Report. Chris Hadfield. Uh, I don't think he's up there right now. No, he, he came back down. But there. yeah, he was. Uh, 
you know, sort of like the celebrity of the ISS for a little while. So are there any United States people up there, or is it all uh, just... Uh, yeah, foreign? there's actually an interesting um, experiment going on right now at the ISS. So there are, are a pair of twin astronauts, and one of them was up there for a while, um, and the other one is, you know, they're both astronauts, they've both been to space, yada yada. Um, but there's a one-year mission that they're doing where one of them is spending a year in the space station and one of them is spending a year on Earth. And they're carefully monitoring them. They just want to see like what the exact, like the most exact differences that they can find. So right now there's six people up there. Um, and, you know, it, I think it can house up to eight people at once right now. Uh, and as many as like 14 people have been in there when, um, what you call it, when, you know, a space shuttle docks and like both of the crews are hanging out together. So they can have a little party in space. That's pretty cool. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. One of the reasons that you'd want to send men up there is so that you can continue to do this sort of experimenting. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can't do uh, with just robots. You need humans to be able to solve problems. You need humans to be able to like you know do sensitive work. And you know we haven't replaced ourselves yet with robots. We can do a lot with robots, but I think thankfully we haven't totally replaced ourselves yet. In space you're talking about? In space. Well, anywhere, but yes, in space in particular. It still is beneficial to send humans up there to do uh, some of this work. Well, not like a refueling mission or a resupply, though. That, that's Right, those are the sort of things. Like um, the resupply mission that went up today from Russia, it was like half of the payload of like three tons uh, was basically oxygen and gas and, you know, um, water. And you know, the rest of it was like food and like other stuff. I think they were bringing up a, um, a big screen television, like a projector television. Uh, so that would be, you know, a nice thing to have. And that's very compact. You just need a screen and a projector instead of bringing up a giant ass TV. Can you watch football games up there? I bet you can. I mean, you're pretty close to the satellites because the ISS is in low Earth ur orbit. So that's where most of the satellites are. There's basically two stages of orbit of all of our satellites. There's one that's about four, you know, 100 to 400 miles above the Earth. And then you get to like 20 to 22,000 miles above the Earth. But satellites broadcast probably like in a, in a range, right? Like, yeah. like a beam? Yeah, they point at a certain area of the Earth. So you, if you were orbiting yourself, you probably wouldn't be in one for very long. Well, you could, you know, go beneath one. You could, maybe you're 200 miles out and, you know, the satellite's 400 miles out. So you go right underneath it and just hang out underneath it for a while. Are they allowed to just like stay in one place if they want? Well, I don't think that they would exactly match the orbit. See, a lot of these satellites are going to be geostationary, which means they're going to... Uh, just stay above one part of the planet all the time. Well, I'm just wondering, you have these guys out there performing experiments or whatever, but are they allowed to just like move the ISS wherever they want to? <laughs> I, I doubt I don't it. think they have enough fuel for that. One of the reasons why they send these missions up there every once in a while is so that they can boost it back out into space because it loses uh, altitude in its orbit gradually. It'll just it'll crash if, if we, something happens to all of us. Right, if we don't send missions up there, it'll, you know, it'll be no good. And that's one of the things, maybe this Russian... Uh, ship isn't going to be, you know, it'll probably crash at this point. Like it's, they're totally lost control of it. It's just spinning out of control. It'll eventually lose enough orbit and go through the atmosphere and burn up. 
Or huh. crash into the ground somewhere. Well, NASA likes crashing spaceships into planets. Into planets, yes. It's, you know, every once in a while you just gotta uh, throw a rock at something, right? Well, like they recently uh, took a, a, a craft and it was about out of commission and just like launched it right into Mercury uh, just yeah. to sort of see what would happen. That's what science is all about. That's kind of why I love the spirit of these guys. <laughs> it, it sort of is, yeah. I agree. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things about NASA lately is that their budget has been declining. Uh, NASA's budget is always determined as a percentage of the overall federal budget, basically. You know, they, they just pick a number. But um, since the early 90s, it's been going down. In the early 90s, it was about 1% of the federal budget back in 91. Uh, so it peaked in the years leading up to the moon landing. So in 1966, it was actually almost 4.5% of the federal budget, which means that, you know, it was... A major focus, obviously, because we were trying to get to the moon, uh, and that was when we needed the most money in order to get that done. And even if you adjust for inflation, it's way more money than we would have done for uh, given today. So in 2014, just last year, it was only 0.5% of the total budget. Uh, so that's about $18 billion total, which sounds like a hell of a lot of money. But one interesting fact is that uh, in 1997, they did a poll of, you know, however many Americans, they asked them, how much do you think the United States spends on NASA? Now, Dave, have you seen this stat? No. Okay, so how much do you think the United States... Well, I already told you, I suppose, so that's ruined it. But they asked everybody how much they thought, uh, as a percentage, NASA, uh, how big it was of the federal government. Everyone said, like, 20%. I mean, I doubt that regular people have any grasp on what the federal budget actually is, Uh, but... It's probably true. I would I would say a small amount. But when did they ask them? Uh, they asked them what No, when, when did they ask Oh, them? when? In 1997. So at the time, it was under 1%. It was 0.9% of the federal budget at the time. But the idea is that you see activity going on. Like uh, there were still space launches and stuff that we would gather together. Sure. Uh, to watch in classrooms, be it you know high school or junior high or elementary school, uh, and now I don't think they really do that, and, and part of it is because it doesn't happen. But even even those uh, missions that are unmanned, etc., are not really that popular. Right, it's sort of a niche thing right now. Uh, people following SpaceX, like fans of the company, uh, people following all the space exploration. There's really there's a lot more information out there nowadays that you can get and see in real time and watch videos of all this stuff. Like there's a video, there's an onboard video of on the Russian spaceship that's currently spinning out of control. Um, and it's just like the earth comes into view every 30 say, you know, every rotation and it's spinning like 30, 40 times a minute. There's a great uh, video from uh, some kind of chase aircraft of I think one of the SpaceX and unmanned missions that, that just went recently way up to fill the the ISS mm-hmm. with a couple of things because they're trying to land uh, in the middle of the ocean right right now and they got really close so this past one if you haven't seen it then go ahead on YouTube and search for like SpaceX landing um, you should find a recent one but it got so close it's ridiculously close and people that maybe have seen. That video game that you can get on uh, on Android and iOS. Uh, Kerbal, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's all about like uh, trying to land um, this uh, aircraft, this spacecraft, on a particular uh, place. Um, 
at a particular like you know longitude and latitude and an angle altitude all that good stuff and it it definitely lets you know exactly how hard it is to do so if you check out this video it is so cool it is it is just so close to getting there and doesn't quite make it but you know what that means is that in the next 10 20 years they'll be able to land out there on barges or platforms Um, yeah i think what they want to do is just land on solid ground it's a lot easier to not have to uh, account for the target moving. Now, there's a lot more ocean than there is land, so it is nice to be able to land on the ocean, but... Well, the point is they'll be able to land somewhere. Right. I'm thinking... Uh, my wild theory was that maybe the FAA and the rest of the American government isn't uh, about to let someone point a missile at the United States and shoot it straight down at it. Which is essentially what it is if you don't like slow it down. Well, I I think that there are rules here, and I, I'm not ex- exactly sure what all of the rules are from the FAA, etc., for these you know private companies. But I'm sure that they're pretty strict, being that you know they they don't exactly have the best track record. Now they've done a lot better, uh, but there have been a lot of uh, mishaps and crashes and things like that. Sure, there's been lots of accidents, um, and you know that's true with. Obviously, we saw with the Russian government today, um, with the United States in the past, we've. Uh, been alive for two different space shuttle explosions which are very shocking and it's really sad because you know it's uh, something that so many people work so long on and something you get really excited for and it's such incremental small gains that you get from these things even though you're putting so much work towards it um, you know you forget that maybe these people are always risking their lives when they go up there to do all this stuff Sure, and you have things like uh, like plane crashes, just regular planes, you know, yeah. and and that still happens. So when you have loss of life in a program like this with NASA, with with space uh, travel and all this new technology, um, it is more shocking because it's more in the news while it's happening. So you you have kids gathered together in a classroom watching the Challenger grow up, and then the Challenger blows up and everyone dies. Yeah. It's not the best thing for the teacher at that point, right? What are, what exactly are they going to tell the children, you know? <laughs> right. So um, it, it's a little bit different in that if, if, for example, in the United States, that these mishaps weren't to have happened, then we would probably still be exactly the same as, as we were before, if not more, uh, governmentally inclined uh, with NASA, right, to uh, to have such a large space program and bring everybody up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just seems to me that like these these large incidents that happen so publicly are likely to have contributed to the decline of uh, of NASA as far as funding is concerned. I could see that people. Uh, one of the first things that they'll think of they'll look at after they talk about the loss of life is, well, that's uh, you know. $250 million uh, shuttle that just exploded or a $2 billion, you know, satellite. That yeah. Just not only is it loss of life, but it's like loss of, it's a of, huge loss of money of money. Right. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that um, NASA proponents always like to point out is that NASA's NASA always gives the economy a very good boost. So, you know, since 1962, uh, when they've been measuring this sort of thing, uh, they estimate that, for every dollar that the United States spends on NASA, the economy is improves by seven to fourteen dollars. So that's a huge return rate for all the research uh, that you put into NASA. Eventually, all that turns around. Who's estimating this? Uh, this was. Um, that seems like kind of a ridiculous okay, estimate. They have the technology <laughs> utilization plan, which they use to make 
all these technologies available. Sure. So what they do is they measure uh, how much money they put into NASA versus how much money these companies then generate years and years later. It's not a very quick turnaround, but NASA's been around long enough for this to be uh, really you know, relevant. So one of the very first things that they did was they contracted uh, Black & Decker to make them cordless tools. And now we have battery-powered everything. And we've had it for a long time. But isn't that something that would have happened anyway? Maybe, but NASA was the one who contracted the company and paid for the research. Right, so it's it's sort of the catalyst for, for this kind of technology to blossom and take root in a large corporation, which then can concentrate their money and marketing efforts towards uh, the regular public. Exactly. That's a very well put. Thank you. Sure. Uh, so lots of everyday things, right? Uh, cell phone cameras. NASA developed... Uh, those tiny little cameras for themselves. And, you know, most of what NASA develops, they won't keep. They're going to make available to American companies to use. Um, so really easy things like water filters. Uh, they had way back in the Apollo spacecrafts. An ear thermometer. They developed that sort of, uh, they needed to measure uh, temperatures of stars and planets. And they were able to take that and create an ear thermometer. So things that uh, well, can don't we look, have... Can we look at this as just like a... This giant R&D factory that the government has because it doesn't exist in any other capacity. This is true. The government has all of these uh, czars and things that watch over things and make rules. Uh, you know, they might be silly or they might be important, but uh, they're, they're wasting a lot of money on things that are not developing new technologies. But when NASA was around and getting a lot of funding, the majority of that funding would go to sort of technology and fostering technology. Yeah, there's still there's still plenty of things that they do today. You know, maybe it's not as flashy, but there's still plenty of things from, you know, the last 10 years, the last 5 years well, I'm that not, are getting put into I'm technology. not and no one should be mourning NASA because they're not dead. Right, they're not going anywhere. So yeah, let's make that clear. But it's cool how they can just take certain, you know, certain things that NASA invents and just totally turn it around into something that's uh, they would have never thought they could use it for. So they needed um, to protect the antenna of heat-seeking missile trackers, right? This is for like a missile defense sort of contract. Uh, so they have this really uh, good material uh, that, will, that they use to coat it, and it's clear. And they took that and made the Invisalign, like invisible braces system out of it. So they were able to just take like a weird uh, heat protective coating and realize that, oh, this is going to be the perfect thing to use to fix people's teeth. Well, sure. In the the 80s and 90s, it was all about space age this and, you know, space age that. Uh, Memory foam and, yeah. You don't see that much anymore. I haven't seen any new... Astronaut ice cream. ...inventions recently, (laughs) you know, but, but that's... Going to be difficult for uh, for anybody to come up with uh, with new amazing technology. Well, NASA does keep track of this sort of thing. So there's a website called uh, the NASA Spinoff. Uh, it's spinoff.nasa.gov. The Technology Transfer Program. So what's the most recent thing that, okay, that so NASA has created? We'll just look at everything and see what they have for 2015. Um, LED bulbs. LEDs illuminate bulbs for better sleep and wake cycles. So life on the ISS wreaks havoc on the astronauts' biological rhythms. One way that NASA mitigates the problem is through the use of LED lighting to alternately stimulate energy and focus and induce relaxation. Uh, So Satellite Beach, a Florida-based lighting science uh, company, partnered with the Kennedy Space Center, and they commercialized the LED system designed for the ISS, uh, resulting in the Definity digital product of light bulbs now used in homes, hotel chains, and resorts. 
So that's something that is... Well, LEDs uh, were not invented by NASA. Right, but it's this system of using them in order to uh, help people keep their biological rhythms. Well, that's interesting. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to purchase that one at Home Depot anytime soon. (laughs) You might find it at like a nice hotel you stay at or something like that. Uh, So there's stuff about 3D printers... There's stuff about uh, cabin pressure monitors for pilots. That's something that we had talked about in previous episodes. Um, by the way, we should do an episode sometime about uh, like mysterious, the missing plane. I don't know what we could add to that conversation. You're right. We can't add, <laughs> if we could add something to that conversation, that'd be crazy. Um, but <laughs> look, there's a there's a whole long list of things from 2015. Um, so you know. But, but these say, are technologies that they specifically uh, that are very very like for small little little kinds of uh, of things. I'm sure that there's a few larger things, but yes, of course, most of it's going to be smaller things. Well, what I was saying is that they had larger uh, you know things that they created and then became really popular specifically for NASA, specifically uh, for you know the American public, which then yeah. became huge. But we don't see that much anymore. Is all I'm saying. I mean, they didn't invent LEDs or 3D printers. Like that's that didn't come from NASA. No, no. But you know, the improvements that they've made on it are then made available to everyone. Yes, the, the specific um, like uh, uh, reason that they're using it. Yeah, could be maybe proven as a use case for for something else. Right. It's just sort of the thing that where you're saying that um, you know. Not necessarily using it to improve your life, but using it to generate, you know, a large, stimulate the economy through NASA. But no, they're not making things like uh, GPS. It uh, used to be that way. Well, those things have been invented now. Now someone has to come up with a new breakthrough. I think that, you know, that's what we're missing is just, you know, recent breakthroughs. Now, there's other government agencies that come up with stuff like that. Like, look at DARPA. They came up with the Internet, you know. They're another very largely funded. Now, this they, is not a new thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of our, the huge discoveries that our government came across because of all the federal funding was in the 80s and 90s. Uh, you know, now it seems like a lot of it's bureaucratic, etc. There's all well, these it, cell phone cameras is a pretty recent thing. They didn't invent cell phone cameras. They miniaturized them. They were one of a number of companies that made things smaller. Yes. But it's not, you know, um, it's not these amazing things that were created earlier. But I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about NASA. I'm just saying that right now they're not, their focus is not on developing new technology. Um, their their focus is on uh, their focus is on solving problems. It's up to the private sector to look at what they, the technology that they've developed in order to solve their problems, well, and focus, figure out how to apply it. You know, they're focused on more. is on maintaining uh, their their current uh, investigations, right? Right, and starting new ones, obviously. Uh, yes, no, they were the, sort of given a mandate to start looking into manned missions to Mars and stuff like that. So their budget has gone down, but it doesn't mean their budget can't go back up. Right, and one of the reasons, uh, so just because it's gone down doesn't mean that um, they're broke obviously we said they have 18 billion dollars they're uh investing a lot of that money into private uh companies so in 2010 president obama gave a speech and he proposed that essentially nasa leave the business of actually sending people to the moon and let a private company do it think about it like 
the United States government doesn't build all of the cars and airplanes to transport all of their workers to all the places that they want to go. And if space is actually going to become a much more regular thing, then it's going to be private companies that are handling that, not the government. Private companies are much better at uh, making things much more efficient and profitable. And uh, they don't have to take the blame if much people die in an explosion of a spaceship. The government doesn't, right. Exactly. So that right. is, that is it, also It also removes liability from you. But but I agree with the government, uh, you know, for the record, uh, because I think anything that becomes proven as a concept and is useful towards uh, towards a lot of things and can make you money should become a commercial concept instead of a governmental. Right. The government one. is great at the research. The private industry is great at making that profitable. Well, the government can throw tons of money at it to to show that it's something that could be commercial enterprise. I, yeah, well, I mean, you know, just to direct research projects, really. Yeah, but but so, uh, you're totally right. So, this should be commercial, right? Sending people up should be commercial. Now, whether that, I don't think it really means that then we have, um, we have astronauts that go to another planet uh, that are part of NASA that uh, are taken up in commercial space flights? I mean, it, it's certainly possible. That's one of the goals of SpaceX is to send like people to Mars. So that's something that they're working towards for sure. But that's this whole contest and all the craziness that's around the mission to Mars thing. I think that they're serious about wanting to do it. Whether it's for... Look, it'd be nice to win a contest by a certain deadline, but no, they, as they long as they're the money. first one there, dude... SpaceX is making a ton of money. Well, that's fine. And, and what's it, ULA or whatever, is uh, is now starting to promote and be very big as well. Yeah, I mean, SpaceX has had 18 launches so far. So they're finally starting to... Like, they've made a lot of money based on deposits, but they have had every mission be successful, which I don't think anybody else can say that. Uh, you know, they've really done a good job. <laughs> um, so... Kind of exiting the NASA discussion, uh, apart from where they're going to be helping all these other companies. Um, do you think that uh, we should be funding NASA more? Do you think that we should go back to, like Neil deGrasse Tyson says, go back to making it 1% of our budget instead of half a percent? Well, I guess it depends on, Just, on what exactly that money is going towards. Okay. I mean, if they're not, if they're not launching missions or advancing tech at a rapid pace... Uh, I'm not sure what what they're doing. So, so as you said earlier, and I totally agree with you. I mean, they are doing R and D. They're trying to solve problems. They're trying to work with commercial space agencies. They're trying to sort out the things they're already doing in ISS and uh, with some of their other tech that's out there. Obviously, they have uh, you know other things that do get launched into space that just aren't manned. Um, and and there's a lot of programs and programs in development. NASA doesn't have any like rockets or anything. To send anything into space, they contract other companies to do that for them now. Well, they're sending the things into space. They though. are. They're they're designing satellites. They're uh, still you know heavily involved with the ISS. Yes. Yeah. Whatever it is that they're sending, they're still sending it up somehow. So it does get into space. I just I I do kind of like the fact that now they can do all this without any real uh, uh, problems losing face if something blows up. They're like, you know what? That was uh, that was someone else. Uh, we, that we, was their we manufactured a fantastic thing with, with everyone's money and it was great. It was going to be great. But, uh, but Johnny over there, <laughs> he really, uh, he really, you know, he made the whole thing go downhill when 
he didn't screw in those three screws on the corner of that particular rock. You know, Virgin Galactic, spoiler alert, kind of uh, is suffering from that a Scre- little bit. Screwed the pooch? Yeah, I mean, they were very highly criticized for the crash of their aircraft that they had uh, back in October last year. Um, and, like, lots of people had retired, uh, kind of left the company before that uh, from their safety line. Um, but anyways, we'll go to them later. I wanted to... Uh, Finish up. So I definitely think that we that it would be a good idea and just generally beneficial um, if NASA's funding was you know twice as much as it is today. What would we uh, what would we take away from? What would we take away from? Well, if you if you raise something, right? I mean, we're well, already I would like, love to take away from defense spending. Well, I wouldn't agree with that. But we're we're such you know That's in fine. debt, right? You have to take away from something, right? Uh, right. I'm, I'm not saying we decide what. That well, yeah, is. you can't. It's just like the Hall of Fame game. You can't. Put a guy in without taking a guy out. So you're absolutely right. Um, look, we spend about 24% of the budget on uh, defense. If we spent 23.5% of the budget on defense... Well, we're not here to argue be... politically what the defense right. budget should be. But what I'm saying is I would take it from something that we spend a, a, a very large amount of money on and just spend a little bit less money on that and spend twice as much as we do on NASA. There's probably lots of programs within the government that could benefit from that sort of attention. But... And then you, you know, would be taking vastly away from other things. And then you would be taking a lot out. Right, exactly. In this one instance, I think it's... If we're only making one move, I, I think we're safe there. <laughs> Can you imagine being on uh, some, some kind of council for the government that has to decide on what the actual budget cuts are going to be? I think some of those people love their jobs, and like they either love it or they hate it. Probably. I think everyone that works in the government hates themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, even the politicians, because it's politicians who do that. Oh yes, no matter what you do, half the people are going to hate you. Yeah. So I mean, why? How could you possibly enjoy yourself if no matter what move you make, even if you think it's right in your heart of hearts, and everybody hates you? Well, fifty percent of people hate you. It just—it's terrible, terrible. Well, yeah, but that's the life of a politician. Well, this is that's why mostly, up for. which is why mostly things remain the same and don't actually change. <laughs> that's a good way because to the more they change the more opportunities there are for people to not like you yeah I guess you have to be someone who doesn't care if they're liked but then Sociopath? you won't get reelected. well I mean in terms of re-election I think you can not care about getting reelected and not be a sociopath however most people who go to that level of politics uh, I think we should we should uh, nuts. we should try to get some DNA from the, the previous presidential candidates and presidents and see how many of them are, are like psychologically disturbed if that's possible. If we could just like have a hair or yeah. something like that. They're like thirty seven percent of presidents are sociopaths. <laughs> there uh there's have you heard of the book The Psychopath Test? Uh yes. Uh I I think there's something like, you know, almost like People pass that, hit that test at like uh, 1% of the time. Cheers. Uh, but leaders hit it like 10% of the time, something like that. I See, I would totally agree with that because I think for anyone to be uh, CEO, president, uh, you know, director of something large, ambassador, president, you have to really just not give a shit because everyone from all angles is, is going to be, you know, yelling at you. Heck, I've got videos up on YouTube and... Although there are a lot of positive comments, there's a lot of negative comments too. Yeah. And that's just me on YouTube doing some random thing. 
you right. know. So can doing you, nothing to offend anyone. Right. So can you imagine uh, someone in the public spotlight? How many death threats and like things that they're said disparaging about them? Like right. you have to deal with that and make it okay in well, your mind I mean, every day. You ignore the comments on YouTube. I'm sure. Uh, sure. Right. I mean, I think that they're able to just ignore it on a much it's a, it's a better, greater scale. It's a bigger scale, though. I, I, you can't really ignore those things. They still have to affect you at some point. Sure, they do. So, especially in that greater of a scale. And I don't want to get too far off, off topic, but it's, it is rather amazing uh, how much these people that work in the government or like uh, on the top of private industry uh, can take this massive amount of hate towards them. Because regardless of how much you're liked, there is hate. <laughs> uh, anyway. You can't I, listen to the haters, Dave. I do agree with you. Haters I going to hate. I like the space program. I've always liked it. You know, from when I was uh, much younger in elementary school and junior high, uh, there was actually a friend of mine who went to, uh, I forget what they call it. that Space camp, right? Yeah, space camp that they had. Uh, in Alabama. In, in I Alabama. I tried going. I, I like applied for it. Did you? And, well, uh, I had a friend I who to went be an there. Astronaut. I think most young boys wanted to be an astronaut at some point. Well, I wanted to be an archaeologist, but you know. Oh, I, cool. I was a big fan of dinosaurs. Nice. Uh, well, neither of us met our dreams, at least not yet. Uh, but but we'll that would see. be a paleontologist, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, paleontologist. Ar- archaeologists would be cool, too. You're not, it, you, you probably like dinosaurs more than you like people. <laughs> I don't know if I would say that, but any any job where you could uh, you know use a pickaxe in a big hole to like to like find things and then use like the fine brush, take it back, put it in like a soak, figure out what it is, do a paper on it. It sounds great because you, you're not exactly you're not like interacting with tons of people. Um, <laughs> that, that's it's that's a nice peaceful job. Well, that's a big problem that I have with these big organizations, be it NASA or anything. Uh, is that you still have to deal with the the bureaucracy and the terribleness that is like right. multi-organization companies that have people working there for 50 years who are just holding up the line. So see, I want to see more R&D. I want to see more tech. But I feel like since NASA, NASA started in, you know, like uh, the, the, what, 50s and 60s, uh, yeah, I think 1957 or something. And uh, and now extends to today. That means there's probably a lot of people there that don't do anything. And I mean... I wish you could, like, you know, clear away the debris. See, the thing about that is that they're able to hire the smartest people. And usually, when people are at that level of their game, so I, to speak... Do you have this, like, is there, like, a study that says this or something? No. Like, the smarter you are, the more you're on task? Because I don't know if no, I No, 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 that's that. not what I'm saying at all. People at this level of uh, smarts, like, they're able to do this good at research or, uh, you know, be that good at pilots, they're going to be taking a pay cut to work at NASA. They'll be able to work in, like, a lot of uh, the people that they talk about in the private sector. Like, you know, all these people at the top of the White House are going to be able to work in the private sector for a lot more money later on. You know, I think a lot of the people at NASA, they're really good talent, could probably work in the private sector and make more money. But what they want to do is work at NASA. So NASA is able to get the cream of the crop. As that long was as true. Are you, is that still true? Keeps, I, you know, because I, if the private space companies are now hiring that talent from NASA, wouldn't you think that the smarter minds would, would then go to the private space companies? Probably. But as long as the smart minds are still working on this stuff, that's kind of what I want. You know, if, if the research is going to get done in private now instead of in public, then that's fine. Maybe NASA is going to become more of like 
a place where people are able to start their careers and start their big projects. And then they'll get hired on by the bigger companies later on. Well, we talked a little bit about why, you know, it was a good thing that we thought perhaps to sort of uh, outsource this manned space flight and rockets and actually flying and, and, and pushing things up into outer space. Uh-huh. But then I wonder, like, you know, me being a big fan of Star Trek, for example, and other kinds of sci-fi like that, if it's not the government who's controlling all of this, that's an entity that can be regulated, etc., then it becomes something else, like an animal that maybe you can lose control of. Um, you don't necessarily want a whole bunch of private corporations. And I'm, you know, be surprised that you would, especially because you're not really into that sort of thing uh, personally. <laughs> Uh, to have a whole bunch of people take control over these things, and perhaps because it hasn't, you know, reared its ugly head because the technology is so new, uh, we're not all aware of the bad things that could happen because of that. Sure, I'm sure that uh, with this greater technology comes a greater risk, um, and I think that NASA will be in place in order to manage that, as long as it's something that you know is only available to very few people. But if, you know, in a hundred years... Well, you can, already, travel, you can already do commercial flights into outer space. Not right now. There aren't any commercial flights right now. Right now, you can reserve uh, tickets for, yes. for space shuttle flights that will be happening in several years. Yes, you can. Absolutely. Yes. You can put down deposits um, for Virgin Galactic. And, and they're still, I'm sure, taking people's money. Well, you don't think that's actually going to happen? I don't mean taking it and leaving. Yes, uh, they are they are taking the they're money. taking it and using it to develop and you know they're cashing the checks but they're uh, sort of talking a bigger game you know Richard Branson isn't a scientist like I like Elon Musk is so Elon Musk knows uh, when he talks about uh, projections and goals they're much more reasonable you know uh, when Richard Branson kind of announced Virgin Galactic and stuff. He said that in 18 months they would be sending people into space. But of course, because because it's people like that, like Steve Jobs, like these guys that are visionaries that actually make things happen. Uh, it didn't work out as well as he, he's not as good as Steve edit as Steve Jobs was. Steve Jobs wasn't very good at it. <laughs> well, he was he, successful in term, monetarily. You fake it till you make it, man. Like the the fact that these companies are out there saying that drives everyone else to do better. And it drives themselves to do better, and eventually it will happen. So it's we have to have these people who say that in two years we're going to be uh, landing on Mars and, and having you know dinner at Red Lobster on Mars. It takes, you know, I mean, that's what Kennedy did to get us to the moon. It's the visualization of something actually occurring. Uh, and Kennedy was right, even though he didn't know it at the time, but that's, that's tough. Uh, it's, yeah, it's tough to make that sort of bold prediction. Uh, but look, you know, I guess my point is that uh, when you, you know, Branson is more likely to be wrong, but still right in the end. You know, he's probably going to be matters. off in his predictions. I just hope you that you don't get remembered for having a bad prediction. So, okay, they had an accident a couple of years ago. Or, not a couple of years ago, about six months ago. Um, so they had the VSS Enterprise, and they actually named their vessels the Enterprise and the Voyager. I know you'll dig that. Of course. Uh, so the, cra- the craft broke up in midair shortly after it was released from the mothership. Now, the mothership is a plane that basically piggybacks uh, the uh, vo- the Enterprise that was going, in, you know, the vehicle that would actually go into space. So instead of a, hor- or a vertical rocket launch to send it into space, it piggybacks on a plane 
and it um, the mothership flies it up to about fifty thousand feet uh, and about Mach one, and then they launch the you know the space bound plane. And they're actually able to take the plane back down and land it. And they had many successful test flights and stuff like that. Um, but what happened about eight or so seconds after it separated, it just broke up entirely. And now there was a lot of uh, speculation as to what happened. There is no full incident report out yet. They said that it would take about a year. It's Like I said, it's only been about six months. Uh, now, uh, they have been criticized for it. So the, it, the industry has a standard two-failure tolerance, which means that you can still survive if a human screws up twice, if the machine screws up twice, or if each of those screws up once. And basically, um, you know, they're accused of not having that sort of tolerance built in it, of sort of testing things and then letting them break and figuring out what to do instead of, uh, and, you know, there was two people flying in this uh, craft when it broke up and, you know, uh, the witnesses say it essentially exploded. Now, the amazing thing that I was really surprised to learn is that somebody survived this. He was at 50,000 feet. He didn't have a protective suit on. Uh, it was a giant ball of flame and his seat ejected. He was able to unbuckle from it and uh, he was falling. His parachute opened at 20,000 feet. They found him. He was, you know, he wasn't okay. He had to go to the hospital, but he's okay now. Um, All right. You know, so that's like the first time somebody has survived from a space, a spaceship uh, where, you know, there's been an accident where people died. Um, so my point, I guess, is that they, on the outside right now, it seems like they were charging into it and that uh, it was too ambitious. They didn't test things right. They weren't deliberate enough in their process. And I think that it may set back their attempts to send people into space, which is obviously the, you know, the bigger story uh, for space exploration is what's in it for me, right? When can I go to space? Well, I don't think people will care as long as they can come up with successful missions, etc. Then it doesn't really matter because this is a, a you know well-known businessman with a bunch of money thrown behind something. Now you got a company like SpaceX has a partnership with NASA. You know they're kind of uh, the number one company right now because they can share in a lot of things that NASA has that the other companies don't have access to. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what's funny is, as far as NASA contractors go, they're still one of the smaller guys. NASA contracts with Boeing. Uh, they probably contract with Lockheed Martin, too. Uh, they contract with a company called Orbital Sciences, which is kind of a spinoff from the 80s, uh, a private company that spun off of NASA. They had the a $255 million rocket blow up recently, too. Yeah, they did. So um, back in uh, late 2014, I think it was, their rocket, um, oh, what was it called? So lots Cygnus, of problems. I think. Still. <laughs> yeah, it exploded last um, last year. Uh, so basically, Orbital and SpaceX were the Russians and uh, the Japanese were the only people who were able to uh, resupply the International Space Station. And now, you know, the contracts to resupply them are basically uh, paid out by the comp- by the controlling interests in the ISS. So Japan. Uh, the European Space Agency, Russia, the United States, and Canada are all in the ISS. Um, so we've lost half, essentially, of the um, resupply ships for the ISS over the last 
I guess, you know, this is assuming that Russia's uh, progress resupply ship, you know, which is spinning out of control, is going to be no good anymore. And the Japanese ship is, uh, is uh, you know, kind of end of life or close to end of life at the moment. So SpaceX's Dragon is the, you know, last best option, I suppose, to take supplies up to the ISS. Well, it seems to be working. They seem like a good company and uh, lots of checks and balances. So we can look at them to be uh, someone that definitely brings us um, a lot of stability here in this industry where a lot of other companies like, you know, Orbital and Virgin are having missteps. SpaceX is doing pretty well in general. So uh, so that's very good. But we, if we're talking about uh, private space um, you know, exploration, etc. Uh-huh. What are we talking about? Are we talking about going to Mars? Are we talking about, uh, you know, people launching things to go farm asteroids and then sell the precious materials for a ton of money to Dubai? Mm-hmm. Are, are we talking about, um, you know, people just going up for thrill rides? You know, people that are adventure seekers or celebrities just want to go up to space and come back, see the Earth? Um, you know, I think it can really be all of it, which is part of the great reason, you know, part of the great stuff about it. So, you know, a company like SpaceX is able to generate money by doing satellite launches for way cheaper than the other places that can do it. So, um, the Russians can launch satellites, the European Space Agency can launch satellites, SpaceX can launch satellites, along with, uh, you know, they're the main companies that actually do it. Uh, so... SpaceX is able to underbid a lot of these guys uh, and start generating that. So just yesterday, they sent a communications satellite for Turkmenistan into orbit. Okay. You know, totally like small, random uh, thing. And, you know, it was really cool. I was just went to their page and realized that they were having a launch. That's their second launch this month. Um, So... You know, they've been doing uh, these rocket-controlled descents. We talked about that earlier. What that means is that uh, after, you know, the rockets are built in several stages. So the first stage gets it off the ground. Second stage, boom, shoots it into orbit. That first stage, if they're able to save it, you know, if they can somehow recover that in one nice reusable piece, they can save tons of money on it. That means that they're able to do all these launches for cheaper. They're able to make more money. And then they're able to take that money and use it for research into figuring out how to do all these other things, how to send people into space, how to mine asteroids, how to send someone to Mars, how to make it actually, you know, uh, viable for a Mars colony, maybe a moon colony. I don't know, you know, I don't know why they would want a Mars colony and not a moon colony. Well, because they think that there's uh, that there's ice underneath the surface of Mars, and so they can get water there. There's not anything like that on, on the moon. That's very true, but they could get water from the Earth if they're on the moon. Also, they're not the, that far. Mars is a gigantic planet, and the moon is not very large. True, true. Besides that, I mean, I guess you're right, but you just want people to live on on the moon so that it, it can be just like Futurama. <laughs> We're whalers on the moon. Exactly. <laughs> we carry a harpoon. I like that when they find the original moon landing site, it's the, uh, what you call it, the MTV flag. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh... So anyways, uh, SpaceX's next scheduled flight is an ISS resupply mission 
So that's something that they've been contracted by NASA to do. You know, they make money doing that sort of thing. Um, and uh, it'll be on June 15th, I believe. I, although I had read something that it was June 17th, so it, it'll be the middle of June. And they're going to try and land uh, the first stage rocket on the platform again. Uh, they want to, like we said earlier, land it on solid ground, but they have this big drone barge. There's no people on it that they use to uh, put, you know, try to land the rocket on. Now, they've been close a few times. Uh, in fact, the last time, like you said, the video is pretty crazy. It kind of lands on the corner of the barge, and, like, what happened is it uh, one of its lateral thrusters uh, was stuck open, and it just pushed it over, and it broke. And it, I think it fell off and rolled into the ocean. Uh, anyways, it seems like every time they get like a step closer and another step closer and another step closer. And one of the things I like about Elon Musk is that he realizes that, you know, he's going to have a 10% failure rate, which means he expects to blow this thing up nine times before it works on the 10th time. So he's okay with that sort of, uh, you know, it's closer every single time. That's what counts. So I'm really excited. I hope that they can actually land the thing uh, on the 15th that they've solved most of their problems because that's going to be like one of those milestones where it can suddenly become much cheaper. He has stated publicly that he thinks that it can be 100 times cheaper than it is currently to send things into space. Yeah. Well, that's great. And, uh, and I think that that people should know if they didn't already know how, how not that great the NASA space shuttle program to begin with was. And yes, I'm not taking anything away from the fact that they launched something into space. And this was in the years where we were watching black and white TV of, you know, uh, bad actors. Yeah. And and we've gotten a lot better on that front, too. (laughs) Uh, See some of our other programs. But the space shuttle never went really high. It never really worked the way it was supposed to. It was super expensive. It was just, it was not what the government had wanted it to be or planned it to be. Right. It was It was just very much uh, going over in every single thing that it, it could possibly go over in. And so it is good, at least for the short term, as long as there are rules and regulations set in place by NASA that these private commercial firms are able to launch things up to the ISS and then eventually take manned crews up there to space. And I... Wouldn't even have a problem if, uh, if you know, there are actual astronauts doing work that NASA kind of buys the launch, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's cool. They pay for a ride up there. That's, yeah. That's the way it works. It is. It's just so new. It's, it's, it is. It's very new. So the government really took this up because there was no one else that was going to be like, here's $10 billion so that you can launch something into space. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, these companies are getting enormous contracts. They are now, yes. But well, only, get, only because these, of what NASA was able to do They before. get incremental contracts. So when when they're signed for a $2 billion contract, they're not getting that $2 billion right off the bat. They have to show... Um, they have to show a you know progress along the way in order to get the next stage of funding. Sure. Kind of like crowdfunding for the Super Troopers movie. <laughs> Nothing like that, really. Um so one of the interesting things that I think that they're all going for, Google uh, bought into SpaceX. Uh, they Google Infidelity, uh, I assume the bank, spent $1 billion in exchange for 8.333% of the company, which makes SpaceX worth $12 billion, um, which is pretty good for a company that he started with $100 million. And he still owns two-thirds of all the stock. Uh, anyways, one of the things that 
people are speculating that they want I to thought you said Google do... infidelity. <laughs> Google and fidelity as in the bank. Yeah, Google infidelity is not a Google product. Google infidelity is the new... <laughs> is that... Uh, it's, it's the Gmail checker. If you send emails out between the hours of 2 and 4 a.m., it will make you read them in the morning before it sends them. Anyways, um, <laughs> what they, you know, what people are speculating that they want to do is put satellites up uh, and just provide free internet for the entire Earth. Uh, they've already said that, yes. Yes, and I think that it's really cool. Oh, but, but actually, I think it's more designed for, like... Uh, places that are more in need and on, on like a spot-by-spot basis. We actually talked about this a little bit previously when we were talking about drones uh, because that's yeah. kind of like what they are is is sort of uh, is these really high-flying, maybe even going into outer space, uh, aircraft or space shuttles or whatever you want to call them. The satellites. Yeah, but but their, their program that, that I, we talked about at least for, uh, for the drone show was them being more like in Earth orbit. Inside the atmosphere. Going around to various places where they were needed and broadcasting uh, Wi-Fi down. Well, I'm sure at some point, uh, you know, 10 years into that program, they would be able to just have enough satellites where it's just boom everywhere. Because if satellite if satellite launches get really cheap, then satellites are going to start getting cheaper because they're going to be making more of them. Imagine if they mass-produced satellites. There'd be millions of them up there and you'd have... Services for everything free all the time. It's not free. I mean, even Google's Fi uh, production, which they're doing right now, uh, is still charging for data uh, in increments. I mean, even companies like Google that do no evil in quotation marks will still charge you money because it's not like they can launch those satellites and, you know, make sure they're okay and provide maintenance for free. Right. And satellites aren't, you know, they don't have engines on them. They don't, they're, they've, they have solar panels in order to power the electronics, but. Uh, they're put in a specific orbit, and they stay there, uh, and it decays over a certain amount of time, and they crash down to Earth. And we've talked about uh, Google providing Wi-Fi for everybody. I mean, they're, they're even having this sort of situation where where there is Google Fiber, for example, they're offering these free internet packages for a certain amount of years uh, based on an initial setup fee. You're right. You can spend like $100 and get internet for three years or something like that. But the whole purpose of that is to, uh, again, generate income to manufacture more of this uh um uh, what, what's the word for infrastructure yeah the, the infrastructure and then after that you can come up with a, a good monetary model for everyone because the, well these will also not a very be free. slow connection that they give you so well, if you want a connection where you can be streaming videos well slow is you have to relative. pay more money what, what's the connection is it, i believe it like, the free connection was only like four megabits which is you know Maybe enough to scream like stream a low quality. It's like six hundred k a second, four megabits. Eight megabits is a megabyte. So that means it's five hundred k a second. Look, you were complaining about the speed on your computer when you were getting four megabits on the speed test. But we are different customers. But that's definitely not the level that you would accept. You would want it to be faster. But I pay eighty dollars a month. I understand that, and that's. That's great. So, um, I mean, if you pay a lot of money, you expect, right? But if you're if you're getting it for free and you can browse anywhere, like 400K a second is not anything to sneer at. You can watch YouTube videos. You can stream Pandora. You can also browse. You can download files. It's not five megabit bytes a second, but hardly anybody in the United States has that kind of connection. 
Anyway, all, all that I'm saying is that uh, I love the fact that Google wants to do this kind of thing. And I think it's going to be so great to have all these satellites up there. But don't you think that there will be some problems with that as well? And the other thing you're, we're not thinking about is um, every time people put things into the sky, everything was perfectly fine until there were weapons put on those things. <laughs> and so in the world of space exploration and uh, you know politics and all that's involved there... Eventually, we're going to have people that are our enemies that are putting things into space, and we already kind of do, um, that could put weapons on those things and shoot our things out of space. And we don't have any kind of... How do you of, know that hasn't happened already? Well, I don't, I don't know anything that hasn't been told to <laughs> us. You know, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so I really don't know if any of these things have or haven't happened. Suffice to say, you must agree with me. That eventually this will happen, and there nefarious, will be nefarious plots can be afoot. Thank you, and there will be fights that happen, in, in, you know, out of over space, over orbits, absolutely. And and that's kind of scary because who knows what's going to come tumbling down upon us as far as debris, uh, what is going to be you know sacrificed in in these battles, and what the battles are over, and how do we even know? Like, are astronomers going to? be telling us that or are we going to have NBC cameras up there as well you know like probably there's probably going to be like a, a team there'll be a SpaceX webcam you can turn on I'm like you know one of the internet uh, there'll be like Wikipedia satellites that can that are open to anybody so to answer your previous question uh, Google is 5 megabits per second uh, for the download speed 1 megabit upload it's a $300 construction uh construction fee and then apparently you get to use it forever i thought there was still like a limit on that seven years yeah okay but but 2.5 uh you're talking about five megabits five megabit and one megabit up okay so it's so just enough that's to just watch enough a to, video well it's just enough to browse and watch lo-fi videos sure so if there was multiple people at a house uh it would maybe be worth it but it's enough that you know, everybody obviously can get on the internet. That has $300 for the service fee. Well, they also allow, you know, 25 a month for 12 months. They're might... not they're not asking for extra money on that either. That's a <laughs> solid 300 It you is know? not It is not bad for these areas. I bet a Google lot of does no it. obvious evil, Dave. <laughs> I'm not saying that Google is evil. I'm just saying that they have to pay for their electric bill, you know? I know. You were making fun of the Google does no evil. Yes. Do no evil was their original slogan. Uh, you kind of you kind of grow out of that when you get older. Yeah, I mean, you grow up, you don't like all the same things. No, 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 it's not that. It's just that evil doesn't mean what it used to mean. Evil changes. That oh, that's an interesting way. Of that definition it. changes as you grow up, and your morals and ethics change. All right, so Dave, what is the beer that we are now drinking? So we're into Space Cake Double IPA by Clown Shoes Brewery. Clown Shoes has a bunch of really cool stuff. And uh, I think one of my favorites was, um, I'm trying to think of it. It's something to do with, uh, I think it was, I think it was like a, it was the regular IPA. Are you at least 21 years old? Yes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's the biggest lie told on the internet. Uh, so they have um, Royal Standard Space Cake Undead Party Crasher Muffin Top Brown Angel 
and Blade Blakehorn Unidragon. Well, I've had a couple of those. Great, great brewery. Uh, we would recommend it. The double IPA is pretty good. A little darker than the Wipeout IPA. Oh, you're probably thinking of Hoppy Feet is their IPA. Yeah, I've had that. Uh, it tastes uh, just a little bit sort of uh, sour, which is always good. Double IPA with a high ABV and uh, good hop standards. So, uh, again, not making my uh, my top list, but it's a lot closer than the Wipeout was. I was going to say that uh, the Wipeout has that San Diego uh, light, IPA light style. I don't know what that is. It, like you said, light and stupid, I guess. I didn't want to be so condescending, but thank you. Well, I'll be happy to fill that role <laughs> if you're if you're you know needing. If I'm for hesitant, it. yeah. Um, okay, so now we're in our space cake. That's uh, kind of a good uh, you know sort of thing to have for dessert during the space podcast. Uh, so SpaceX has 50 launches scheduled already. They're basically booked for the next five years. Uh, good on them. I see them uh, barring you know catastrophic failure becoming. Uh, very big and important company uh, over the next 15, 20 years. Well, they have the NASA partnership and they haven't really fucked up yet. So that those two things are going you know, pretty well towards uh, exactly as you say. Um, but we, we don't really know what's going to happen in the next couple of years. There could be some large um, you know, problems. And there probably will be large problems. Uh, maybe even another spaceship. I hope not. That blows up or disintegrates on launch. Look, it's just like saying there'll be another plane crash. Of course, there will be at some point. It's funny when you when you look up these things online and and you find out that the official definition of what happened for the, at least for these older NASA uh, losses of life on launch were basically the disintegration of the spaceship. Yeah. So it just kind of it's gone. If they don't like have much of a debris field even to collect. Then, uh, you know, one of the reasons why there was a debris field for the Virgin Galactic uh, Spaceship 2, the, um, what is it, the Enterprise, uh, was because it was only at about fifty to 60,000 feet at the time. It wasn't in space when it blew up. Yeah, I mean, fuck, disintegration. It's pretty, uh, it's a pretty hardcore way to go. Well, it's actually a pretty good way to go, I guess, if we're if we're getting down to that. Yeah, when you want to talk about it literally like that. Since you're just gone and there's no like, like period where you're not gone. <laughs> yeah, you don't have any time to process it. You don't want to be processing your death for a long period of time. Probably not. No. Unless it's for an extremely long period of time. I wouldn't want that either, but no. I guess that's up to the person. Yeah. And uh, that's, okay. that's another show. <laughs> what, a, what a fun note. Okay. Um, Mr. Kevorkian says. Yeah. So how high do you think you actually have to go in order to get, you know, into outer space, in order to officially uh, be a space flight? How high do, uh, do regular commercial planes fly? Um, I think... 10,000 miles? What? <laughs> No, they fly at about five miles high. Five miles? Yeah. That's five it? miles is about uh, five to seven miles. Like up feet. to like 35,000 feet. That's it? Yeah. 35,000, maybe 40,000 feet. Well, I don't know the answer to this question. But I guess if that's what it is, then I would say 150,000 feet. Uh, no, it's actually much higher than that. You're right. It was sort of a weird random question to ask. <laughs> Anyways, uh, 
they call it the uh, Karaman line. And there's some accents in there. I'm not really sure I pronounced it right. Anyways, uh, it, it's 100 kilometers above the surface of the Earth. Uh, about 62 miles or so, uh, which would be uh, 327,000 feet. So you're a third of the way in outer space. Well, it's a lot. It is. It's a, it's a whole lot of feet. So anyways, at that level, uh, when you get past it, then it's uh, space flight. And you have communication satellites, satellite TV, satellite radio, space tourism, uh, stuff like that at that sort of level. Now, obviously, there's very far out space flight, stuff that's 20,000 miles away. Um, those are like the GPS satellites, um, some other, you know, probably stuff that we don't know about out there. And that's still only a tenth of the way to the moon. Well, I, w- I would suppose that, that the entrance into space is not next to the moon. That's true. There's probably a little bit of a ways to go. The moon is far away still. And the moon itself is, is not that far away in the perspective of everything else. True. I mean, it's freaking enormous. It, it, it changes in size so much because it's like it can vary. It's so close. It's the closest thing to us. It certainly is. Aside from satellites. Closest orbital body. Closest, uh, yeah, celestial body. I mean, there's a lot of satellites now, and heck, all those things are basically just junk that will slowly fall back to the Earth. It certainly will if there was, like, no power. So, remember the show Revolution? We watched it. Um, it was about there being no electricity left on Earth. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if, like, 10, 15 years after that happened, if, like, for the next year or so, it was just raining satellites down. Yeah, but the satellites... All the satellites... When they come down through the Earth's uh, atmosphere, they'll be burnt up and there won't be anything left of them. Not entirely. Oh, yeah. No, they're not, like, perfectly burned up. There's been ones that have crashed to Earth all the time. Mm, I mean, there's large, um, large, uh, like, celestial bodies that come down and they all get burned up before they actually come into contact with the Earth. There are some things that I've seen, like uh, put a hole in a house or something, but very small. I would I would wager that if a satellite was to come down, that, that it would pretty much just burn up. Although, if it was to come up through the atmosphere, I suppose it must have some kind of uh, protection. Exactly. So, exactly. coming down, I guess that protection is what would make it still be a solid body, right? Right, so you know it depends on the so angle it only that it works, comes in and stuff like that. I mean, that. it only works going up, but coming back down, that that same protection will harm us by maybe killing someone, <laughs> some random person walking in San Diego, just walking example, down the street, drinking a light, stupid beer, may <laughs> may have like a satellite come crashing down on them, probably from Turkmenistan. Is this what we're saying? The Turkmenistan satellite, they're just gonna point it at something and crash it. They're gonna unplug like the power strip that it's connected to so i think you know (laughs) a lot of these obviously are going to crash in the ocean because there's a lot more ocean than land and a lot of land is uninhabited so i suppose that random ass uh, scenario is unlikely but it'd be interesting i mean but all the space junk will eventually come back to earth right and little stuff will obviously burn up is there a plan for all the space junk I don't think so. <laughs> Just like there's not really a really good plan for Earth junk. Maybe we should make our Earth junk space junk. I'm okay with that. You know, I mean, the universe is uh, is basically infinite, depending on what it, theory you buy into. A really expensive way of getting rid of your trash. So how about we just shoot our trash off into like varying angles, go to the universe, 
you know, I that, that seems like a good idea. It's just so inefficient. One day it'll be efficient enough. Yeah, right. Now uh, launching a rocket to uh, catapult our trash out right. into... We're going to launch a million-pound rocket to take 6,000 pounds of trash out into orbit. Sounds like a bad uh, Well, bad really, deal. it doesn't need to go into orbit. It just needs to keep going. Individual rockets on each piece of trash. There we go. That'll work Now you're fine. thinking. Yeah. Now we're Jetsons. Yes. All right. Um, Yahtzee. So, you know, if you were a ridiculous millionaire... Would you... Uh, What's a ridiculous millionaire? Is it like a millionaire with a giant mustache? I would say a millionaire that has at least $100 million. Someone that mustache. wears blue and orange together as a, as a color palette? You're, you're very eccentric. Are you going to be signing up to take a flight on uh, the Virgin Galactic? How much does it cost to, to take a flight on the Virgin Galactic? Because hmm. if I'm a I millionaire... $250,000. See, that's not that expensive. That's not that expensive, huh? That's more money than I've made in my lifetime. Well, probably. No, it's not. Maybe it's not. No, it's not. Really? No. <laughs> you need better jobs, my friend. I, you know, it both. Maybe it, is, it might be more than I've made. That's crazy. Well, I've been working for... This is know. impossible. You must have made more than that. If I've been working since I was 18... Well, I haven't been working full-time since then. But... Yeah, I've, I've made more. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Um, so you can take a flight on the uh, Virgin Galactic. So let's see. Space on Earth. So I, I don't know about millionaire because that would say you own at least a couple of million dollars. Uh, at least several million dollars, I would say. Have, uh, or are selling tickets, apparently. They're space agents, like travel agents. Uh, so, people who have already put their money down, Stephen Hawking, Tom Hanks, Aston Kutcher, Katy Perry, Brad Pitt, so Angelina Jolie. All the people that matter. Yes, all the celebrities. Basically, yeah. Yes, they all want to go to space. Stephen Hawking's not going to be around for the space flight. So, in their flight, um, it's about a two and a half hour flight. It brings you to 110 kilometers, which as we said, is about 10 kilometers above the boundary to count you into space. You're in low Earth low Earth orbit. Do they actually orbit or do they just go up and They go back don't down? orbit. They just go up and come back down. They're only about six minutes of weightlessness. So the, the flight is like what, like an hour? It's two and a half hours long. For $250,000? Yeah, to be weightless for six minutes and to be at 100. I'm sure that you get to look out the window and stuff and it probably looks amazing. Um, but yeah, $250,000. So I would only do that if I had like, you know... Hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. It's interesting. I, I think a lot of this might have to do with uh, just as much of um, publicity as it does with people actually wanting to do it. Being the first, one of the first people to actually get to go. Think like about how, how you're going to be plastered all over You know the news. There's going to be like reality shows. There's going to be somebody that comes with you. Someone's going to be... Like filming it, like it's gonna be crazy. <laughs> the Real Housewives of Virgin Galactic. Now, what you want to be, you want to be the press on that flight. Ooh, free seat. Yep, free seat gets to film it. Uh, fantastic. Although I, I bet you there's there's gonna be a large lottery at that press room <laughs> because because the odds of you not coming back are probably you know I don't know ten uh, percent. <laughs> That's pretty bad. 
Especially on... It's uh, probably less than 10%. On that particular space flight, which I must say, Virgin Galactic, I have nothing against you. You're just, your track record's pretty bad. Look, they're not going to get the clearance from NASA to actually fly people into space until NASA determines that it's safe enough. NASA kind of controls all those rules. And they've slowly been... Uh, loosening them to allow these companies to work. But once they're, they've been but they're just arbitrary vetting. rules. It doesn't really matter. Right. But, you know, at least someone is there vetting it in a way. I guess. It'd be interesting if we if we did, uh, you know, a podcast like 10 years from now and we talked about the first space flights, you know, the commercial ones that actually were made. Where were you, Dave, when the first man walked on Mars? It was probably Were not you watching your AT and T Uverse tablet. Are we? Are they a sponsor of ours? No, that was a stupid commercial. Oh, they had that and the first woman to pitch in the MLB. They were running those commercials like all night when I was watching a game. So things will never happen, basically. Things that'll never happen. AT and T Uverse tablet. I, I that already happened. That's not going to happen for me either. <laughs> Is it already exist? I don't probably. I would think so. They probably just had someone make it. Yeah, they're just, they're just selling the access to the. They're tablet. just a network, yeah. yeah. So of course there could be a tablet. But uh, what we're saying is, we don't want to buy that thing. I'm good. Yeah, I'll be watching it online. <laughs> as far as the first woman to to throw in the MLB, if that does actually happen, amazing. We just have an interesting argument about amazing, that and I'll be scared of all women. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Um, there's this cool place in New Mexico. It's called Spaceport America. It is the first spaceport. You know, it is specifically designed uh, to launch space spacecraft and uh, to facilitate their landing there. Um, so Virgin Galactic is sort of the uh, anchor tenant, kind of like United is at O'Hare here in Chicago. Uh, SpaceX also works there. Uh, UP Aerospace, Armadillo Aer- Aerospace. Uh, works out of there now spacex owns cape canaveral right now or they're leasing it or something like that Uh, so they do all their launches from cape canaveral Uh, but i would assume that at some point they would shift over uh, to the new mexico spaceport because uh, it's probably a much better purpose-built facility for what they're doing Um, so it's kind of a cool place but unfortunately uh, they don't have a cool name spaceport america is really lame uh, and i'm already jealous of the russians Whose spaceport is called a Cosmodrome? Isn't that a way better name? I like Spaceport America. <laughs> I think it's cool. I like the Cosmodrome too. Cosmodrome. Oh, that's pretty that's cool. cool. It's in Kazakhstan. I think any space-themed name is going to be pretty cool by default. Like you'd have to do a lot to mess it up. That's true. We're still in that sort of era where, like, that sort of thing is just pretty much always going to be cool. Like you'd have to call it like the Branson Space Terminal or something. Yeah, I could do without that. Which already exists, by the way. The Branson Space Terminal. Apparently there is a Branson Space Terminal, and it's the lamest space terminal in all of existence. But he tries really hard to be cool. Sorry, Branson. Oh, it's only cool to old people. I remember Colbert. uh, The younger people are like, ah, it's Branson. Colbert kept showing the picture of Richard Branson water skiing with a naked supermodel on his back. And he would just make fun of that picture over and over again. <laughs> just an old man trying to be cool. No, I was talking about uh, Branson, the city in the United Branson, States. Branson, Missouri? Yeah. Do they have a spaceport? Which, by the way, no, they don't. But it's it's <laughs> it's much lamer in theory than, than Richard Branson's space terminal. Yes. <laughs> yes. Branson, Missouri is pretty lame. I have stopped there for a meal. 
it was kind of lame. Or the Dolly Parton drum. <laughs> That'd be in Nashville, probably. <laughs> Branson has Yakov Smirnoff. Okay. I can see that. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to the next stages of spaceflight. You're looking forward to spaceflight, Jason? I, you know, I would totally go if I had the money. You would go where? Into space. Why? Because it'd be a fun experience. You like traveling and trying new things. Why wouldn't you want to, like, try going to space? Because when I travel somewhere and try a new thing, it doesn't come with, like, a, a, a large percentage of not making it back. Like you said, you would wait until, like, the third or fourth trip. I'm not going to go on the first one. I'll go on the hundredth one. I don't need to be an early adopter with this sort of thing. You know, I'll, I'll watch on the TV. I think it's a better view. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for joining us for this talk about uh, private space exploration, what the private companies can do, talk about NASA, talk about space in general, sort of geek out over, you know, one of our favorite topics, I suppose. Um, so uh, make sure that you guys check us out next week. Um, we'll do another retrospectical podcast. Coming up soon, we're going to talk about a few more episodes of Daredevil. Uh, we've been watching Daredevil on Netflix lately. We are currently on episodes three and four. Anyways, we'll get uh, to that later. Make sure you follow us on iTunes. No, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Uh, all these different sites have different things you're supposed to do to us. Drink5.com will direct you to all those things. We will see you guys later. Drink5.com. You pin us on Pinterest. You... Uh, probably do something else on Instagram you do all that stuff it sounds good to me doing all the things